Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Football. Energy drinks. Beer. More football. Welcome to Bink at Night. Back in. We'll be joined by Pete Sweeney in just a second on the phone line. Before we do that, shout out thanks to Josh Verner for joining us during his busy schedule. You act like he's not busy with no baseball being played, but trust me, he's where the sounds are. That guy takes like six months off Twitter and then he's like right back into it. Got to keep an eye out for it. But Josh Verner joining us tonight. Thanks to him. Again, you can listen to him every Thursday night, 6 o'clock on 610 Sports Radio uh, and on the Odyssey app. All you got to do is Vern's Hot Stove. Click the link, tune in, sit back, and you got an hour of great baseball talk. Already on that show, the Royals general manager, J.J. Bacola. Already on that show, Royals future Hall of Famer, <laughs> Bobby Witt Jr., and, uh, and many more guests, I'm sure, uh, to be joined by Josh Verner. But... I hate to do this. I really do. Because I told him the last time we talked, it was it. It was over. I'll talk to you in, like, the end of March or when something starts moving, as Austin Powers once said. But we are joined now um, by Arrowhead Pride's Prince King, Landlord, whatever you want to call him. He is that guy for that. Pete Sweeney, how are you this evening? How you doing, Dusty? Good to talk to you again so soon. Yeah, man. Um, I feel like Chiefs news is a lot like the weather around here. It gets really, really cold and bare and you don't hear anything. And then two days later, the sun's out at 65 degrees again. And we kind of start that off with, you know, we, we were told there was a meeting that was going to happen with Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, And then and right. then nothing. It just like went away. Like it, it went bleak. It went disappear mode. And then out of nowhere, it's like, hey, uh, Hitchens is gone. Uh, source says the enemy's coming back. And oh, by the way, Matt Nagy's your new offensive assistant slash quarterback coach slash new Kafka. Um, all that in like three days. And now it's uh, back to being quiet. So out of all that news, where does that put you um, in the moda before you start typing to go where this next season is already headed? Yeah, the, the NFL has done a nice job at this in, in keeping things relevant. Pretty much what I would describe as like, 45, 46 weeks a year. The only real quiet time is right before training camp when all the 90-man rosters are set and the only news that comes out is bad news is the player gets in trouble. But you go right from what was the conference championship for the Chiefs and, you know, they didn't make the Super Bowl, but you get past the Super Bowl and then you're into the combine and draft prep and coaching changes. And I think we finally saw all of this come to a head 
this week. I think ideally, and I've said this a couple times on Fixed Sports Radio this week, I think ideally Eric Bieniemy wouldn't be with the Chiefs anymore. And I, I think he, to an extent, feels that way. I think the Chiefs, to an extent, feel that way in their own right. But they weren't just going to mutually part ways with no job available. There is a, I think, disservice to playing as deep into the postseason as the Chiefs do, and sometimes it takes longer to be eliminated and to focus in on some jobs. I know that there was some connection to New Orleans uh, of maybe the enemy going there to be a play-calling offensive coordinator, get out of the shadow of Andy Reid. seemed like that they were waiting on, on that to drop. Pete Carmichael ended up keeping that position. He's been with the Saints for over 16 years, and so you can understand why they went in that direction as they welcome a new regime and defensive head coach in Dennis Allen wasn't going to work out for the enemy. So once that ship fell, and I don't know, to me it's one final year here for the enemy, one last chance I think next offseason to um, do enough this year to, to maybe get another position, and then we'll see what happens with Nagy. So that ship falls where the enemy is the O coordinator. Nagy comes in to work with Patrick Mahomes, and then I, I tend to think this is what the Chiefs wanted all along. I think ideally in Kansas City it would be Nagy the offensive coordinator, but the enemy was not – able to quote-unquote graduate, so they have what they have. They're going to do it for another year, and I ultimately think Maggie is here to stay for a long time. I, I think they have a, a real long future track for, for Matt Nagy. You think Nagy was kind of, I mean, probably not because he's getting a head coaching job, but kind of like, you know, you got to get the brand-new Christmas present that morning, and then you had to go back home to your house because you were visiting your cousins from out of town. You got to play with uh, one of his cool toys, and then it was gone was kind of like the way Matt Nagy was. They had drafted Mahomes. He sat behind Alex Smith. And then I, I could be false reporting here, but I remember when they played Denver in that final game when we finally first saw Mahomes in a real game that I felt like the narrative, and maybe you know, I mean, I'm sure you know this more than I do, that they, they gave Andy Reid the play calling. And previously the argument earlier that year was that Nat, Matt Nagy was calling the plays. It was Matt Nagy calling the plays, end all, be all. But then I thought they said in that final game, Andy Reid was like, "I'm I'm going to work with Pat in this game," and it was it was clearly evident. I could be wrong, but now we get no, Matt, no, it, it was Nagy that game. No, go ahead. What it was? No, yeah, you had it. You had it similar. You're you're along the right tracks. That they had the regular offensive coaching staff focus on what was the next week, which was going to be the playoff game. They had Mike Kafka working on the game plan for what was Patrick Mahomes, but ultimately Andy Reid wanted to work with Pat as a test to see, okay. Can we move on from Alex Smith? And it went pretty well. And so, yeah, no, they ended up uh, turning the page. Matt Nagy got the, the Chicago Bears job. I have another comparison for, for you, and, and this is, I think, sometimes where you feel a little bit bad for uh, situations like this where Matt Nagy has the freedom. He goes off to college, and he thinks he's going to you know, have all this success in the NFL, and it doesn't work out for him. I mean, Mitch Trubisky was his quarterback. He went through a few quarterbacks, never really worked out. Now, after college, he's got to move back in home with mom. Uh, I think there's going to be a little bit more seasoning here, and, and he's going to work closely with uh, Andy Reid once again. Uh, and, you know, I, I went on Twitter today, and I tend to think that this is the man, uh, and who knows how many years it'll be, two, three, four, five years. I think Nagy is the guy that the Chiefs ultimately see as the next head coach in line. He has those connections to Brett Veach from college at Delaware. He's going to get a few years now closely working with Patrick Mahomes. So when Andy Reid, who's in his 60s, calls it quits, they'll have an in-house candidate uh, that they really like in Matt Nagy. 
So this is you. This is your shot that you're calling from 2022 on February 25th. So on February 25th, 2027, what? Matt Nagy's the head coach of the Chiefs. <laughs> I think somewhere between 25 and 27, and that's so long as the Chiefs maintain the success of winning the division. You know, if you maybe you drop one year in the division, but you're consistently making the playoffs most years, uh, then then I think yeah, I, I think they're going to have a lot of trust. I mean. You know, a lot, a lot of these things, and, and sometimes good, sometimes bad in the NFL and for various reasons, people go with what they're comfortable with, with who they know. And Nagy and Veach already have that built-in relationship, and you're talking maybe three, four, five years working with Pat. I, I tend to think the Chiefs will try, if the enemy does finally graduate, make Nagy the offensive coordinator in what would be 2023, and, and then it's a matter of when Andy Reid is, is ready to go off into the sunset. So then I have to bring up this awkward question, and that is, this is it for enemy with the Chiefs. Like, the, there is no next year. There is no enemy offseason debates. Like, if what you're saying is to be true, then that would mean that Matt Nagy is only going one place, and that's offensive coordinator next, and the person that stands in his way is Eric Bieniemy. So this must mean that this season is, is the end-all, be-all with EB? In Chicago, they call it the last dance. Unfortunately, in Kansas mm. City, we call it the Sutton year. Yeah, I, I tend to think this is the, the final year one way or another uh, for EB in Kansas City. And I think everyone realizes that. So they'll be talking, and, and maybe it won't necessarily be a head coaching position for EB in, in 2023. But I think the ideal scenario will be getting him into a position where he is running the offense. So you'll have to look around the league if, as to you know the coaching carousel, uh, and maybe it's a head coaching job. Maybe you know maybe there is an opportunity that that we're not seeing right now. I know that there's always like six or seven or eight open jobs, but I, I think at the very least he'll be with another team where he is the the guy running the offense. Yes, I, I think this is the last year of EB. I'm not a fortune teller, but I am a, a a realist, and I've noticed that people that stay close with Patrick Mahomes tend to stay close into the Chiefs roster. He's in Vegas, and, and Jarek McKinnon's with him. So th- that means that McKinnon going to be a running back on this team next year? I, I, I got to say, I mean, and, and we have to be honest with ourselves It's a here. bachelor Jarek party. McKinnon, Jarek, yeah, Jarek McKinnon was the best back at the end of the year, uh, and I think you got to bring him back. Uh, and, I, and I think you got to remind yourself at the beginning of training camp, it, it's okay that we drafted Clyde first uh, in the first round if Jarek McKinnon continues and picks up where he left off, he should be RB1. Obviously, he's developed a relationship with Patrick Mahomes, and, and now I think he doubled down on that. You can see what he has to offer. And, I, man, I, I think he really came into his own at the end of the year, dealt with some injuries, was able to come back and really had an impact on the, on the postseason for the Chiefs. And I, I think this is the best place for him. I don't think he has to be paid all that much because, I, you know, running backs are such a dime a dozen in the NFL. So why not come back to Kansas City and that room? And, and for what it's worth, I mean, this is just us talking and analyzing. The running backs really do respect each other, and I, I think mm-hmm. Clyde would be open to that. They really look at each other as a, a room. That's something that Clyde told me personally when I asked him the question. We look at it as a running back room. So even if, even if Clyde ends up being you know, your RB2 to McKinnon, I think McKinnon, for the first time, you really felt confident about a running back going into a game. I, I don't know how you let that player go. What's the price going to be for Frank Clark to be a chief next year? Because I feel like that's the next domino, right? Yeah, he's got to take a pay cut, and uh, you know it's a tough decision. And, you know, and that's you know these guys can go at the podium and say they want to be in Kansas City all they want. Uh, he's got to restructure that contract and, and take some type of pay cut. He can't have the, the salary number that he does, and it's just going to be how willing and how how far is he willing to go 
to remain in Kansas City. I tend to think ultimately he's not with the club. I don't think that's something that he's going to want to do. You never know in these scenarios. Uh, Kansas City's a great place, and, and it's a great organization, and there aren't many Patrick Mahomes in the league. And so we'll see how much Clark, Frank Clark kind of stacks all those things up. Would I make your bachelor party if it happened next weekend? Sure. Sure. Luckily for you, um, or maybe unluckily for you, it's probably not happening anytime soon. Mm. I, I got to tell you that. Um, so we'll, we'll see somewhere down the road if, if we maintain our relationship. Uh, similar to, obviously, like Andy Reid and Matt Nagy did. You never know. You might get that call. Um, and then if there's one song that gets Pete on the dance floor at a wedding, what song is it? Yeah, uh, I, I do uh, like um, Return of the Mac. Mm. Now you, you, you put that on, uh, you know these dancing shoes are, are coming out. Oh, yeah. Don't tweet me. Don't at me, as, <laughs> as the kids say. I don't want any notifications when Return of the Mac is on the, the wedding floor. Pete, I love you. I hope that there's uh, more breaking news so we can just keep talking throughout the year, even though I know we don't have a problem with it. But uh, whenever you're ready for that date, uh, I'm ready when you are, sir. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Talk All right. to you soon. Take care. Pete Sweeney here on 610 Sports Radio. Return of the Mac. That's his song. What's your song, Julio, that when you hear it at a wedding or you hear it at like a party, you got you to gotta get out there and, and jive? Let's go with... Uh, uh, a little naughty by nature, a little hip hop parade. Okay, okay. For me, it's any song. School. I'm the guy that starts it. I may not finish the night on the dance floor, but I'll get out there first. I'm the icebreaker. You ever seen the movie Heavyweights? You're not one to stand around on the outside looking in. No, right? everybody wants to get out there. They just need somebody. You know that guy that You're in, the initiator. Yeah, you know the guy right? in grade school or maybe it was high school that finished the test first, went in there and turned it in no matter what, and then was out. And then everybody else was like, okay, now we can all turn it in, knowing damn well you were all done ahead of time. Knowing you just went down and marked C for everything? That's right. Okay. But you didn't want to get up quick for people to be like, oh, there, come on, he doesn't know. Yeah, well, Did I was you really the guy. finish just, that fast? Yeah. No. That's right. Yeah. Well, when we come back, we talked to Pete about it. It's going to take a price cut, but I don't know if the shark is willing to swim in that shallow of water. This is Bank at Night on your home for Royals baseball and the official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio. Some sad news. Major League Baseball has canceled three more days of spring training games, March 5th, 6th, and 7th. Spokesman says the earliest spring training games can start by MLB scheduling is March 8th. So it sounds like negotiations went well today. Of course. That's contingent on getting a deal done by then. So more games could be on the way. We kind of left off a little bit ago with announcers making their moves. Julio, I find it interesting. Because I don't know if you're like, I don't know if you're tapped into announcers as much as most people are, or like maybe myself, like anytime Gus Johnson's on a game, I get a little bit excited because I know that there's going to be at least some point, hopefully in that game because of the magnitude of what it could be, that we're just going to lose Gus at some point, whether it be a big play or whether it be a huge catch, whatever it may be. And, and I guess when it comes to Mitch Holtis, he's kind of in that category because when the Chiefs start doing something or or Mahomes and Kelsey get on a connection or something like that, and, and Kevin Harlan's up there for me, 
That was mine, Kevin Harlan. Yeah, and he is, I think, probably the best in my mind. I think there. I don't know if there's anybody better when it comes to, and they're both having to be local guys, but when it comes to Mitch and Kevin Harlan, like I know they're both in the same play-by-play field, but it makes you ask yourself, you could have a play-by-play and a, and a color analyst, who would it be? And I think unanimously a lot of people would want to hear Harlan or Holtis with Romo. I think Romo takes cake, takes cake when it comes to color, when it comes to the color analyst. I mean, I, I don't mind Collinsworth. I think Collinsworth is starting to evolve into more than just the other guy with Al Michaels. I think now it's like, you know, he's got the pro, he's got the analytical side of stuff. He's he's developed the slide. He's developed the look. I'm also a big Bills fan. Bills is good. Bills just to me sometimes gets that kind of like smug about him, which I think is why people. Fair like him or hate him because he is that way. I mean, he's got several degrees. He's got a law degree. He's a Duke grad. He's, you know, very proud of his Duke school. And I believe he follows zero people on Twitter and he only tweets like rap lyrics. So it's kind of interesting. I mean, that sounds great to me. Yeah. I mean, I'm good with it. Um, But yeah, it's just kind of interesting when you think about guys that have futures in the announcing world and where you could pair different play-by-play and color analysts. But where we start this conversation out at at 7.20 p.m. in Kansas City is the fact that the dominoes are beginning to fall and the season will eventually take shape. We're eventually going to be to the point where it's like, okay, who are we getting on draft day? Today the news breaks that Matt Nagy is going to return as a senior assistant quarterbacks coach. It is... Evident yesterday that Eric Bieniemy is going to return as offensive coordinator uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs and that they're ready to start moving on in that fashion. So coaching staff, pretty much well done. I don't think we're going to see Spagnola go anywhere. I think we're, we're where we're at is where we're at, I think, on the coaching side of things. Next up now, outside of Hitchens, is, is the next player to go. And we've seen via Twitter, whether whoever you follow, that maybe Tyron Matthew is out there exercising his options. Obviously, players can't officially sign until the certain date in March. Um, The combine is getting ready to happen. The franchise tag. Um, All that above. I mean, the NFL literally stops for about 30 seconds, and then it continues to move forward. And I think the next domino to fall will be, in fact, the Frank Clark decision of is he staying or is he going? And it really all depends on Frank Clark. Because if Frank Clark thinks he is still valued at that 20 million cap, which he is not on this team, then he will be in a different jersey on a different team next year. And I think that's where all of our minds kind of put in to the same thought process is that there's no way the Chiefs are going to pay Frank Clark what he is owed next year, which then means the Chiefs have to buy out contract, which then you get into the numbers of Chiefs eat the 13 million in dead cap space when it comes to Frank Clark. And then after that, the Chiefs save 12 million by cutting him. It's kind of similar to the Justin Houston situation that happened a couple of years ago. Only thing that's different is I don't know if Frank Clark still has the same juice that Justin Houston had when he went on. Justin Houston played well in Indianapolis for two years. Justin Houston this year, I believe, was in Baltimore. But the thing about Frank Clark to not get lost about and not to worry 
where you look at if it is the end of Frank Clark in Kansas City, you can't look at, I mean, you can, but a lot of times people will focus on the current time. But Frank Clark, in my mind, was a big reason why this team won a Super Bowl. The juice wasn't worth the squeeze. There you go. And when it comes to Frank Clark being on this team, I think he served his purpose. Now, was the money a bit high? Was the trade a bit much? What you gave up for what you got? I don't know. It depends on where you put the price tag of a Super Bowl trophy. But the year before Frank Clark was D4 offsides. Gone. And then the year after D4 offsides was Mink Coat talking about how the leading rusher in the league came into their house and they actually went to his house kicked their door in, took all their you-know-what, and ran away with the game. And then won a title. That was Frank Clark. But I'm like you. It's time to move on. You filled your void with this Chiefs team for the contract that you were working with. Now, in my opinion, that contract is no longer worth what you are playing at. Now it's time to let maybe Melvin Ingram be that cat. Because Melvin Ingram is on your side. We don't know if Frank Clark is 100% on your side. We know that Melvin Ingram is a little bit older. We know that Melvin Ingram, 100%, without a doubt, of anybody's mind, changed the attitude of this defense on this team the minute he stepped on this team. Melvin Ingram comes to the Chiefs, and the Chiefs defense changes. The Chiefs projection in the standings goes completely up. They don't lose a game for two months. And he's disruptive in the backfield. And if you remember, then everybody starts to go, boy, it'd be nice if Frank would do that. And maybe it is time for Frank Clark to go see if somebody will give him a contract that he wants. Or it's like what Pete Sweeney said. Maybe Frank Clark sits back, evaluates his thought process and says, I kind of just want to win rings. I've made a lot of money in my career. I'll renegotiate. What do you guys want to pay me? And that number is going to be humbly low. Does he seem like that kind of guy to you, though? That's what I don't know where he's at in his life. I I don't. Who the hell am I? I'm just a talking head on the radio, radio, right? Right. But to me, it seems like he's... He's got more of the personality of I'm in it and I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm here for a cash grab. I am here to get as much money as I can for as long as I can. I am not here. He's got his ring. Yeah. I mean, he's got one. Two. Right. So he's got two. Right. So I mean, there, there's nothing left but the money for him. And that's where I'm at with Frank. I don't know if he's gonna go try to get the bag one more time. I don't think he's trying to do the Chiefs any favors. Right. And I think I could that, be wrong. But. Right. I don't know how much money he's made in his career. I could have found that out, but it just, to me, wasn't relevant for this topic at the time. But I think that he, in my mind, I don't know. But I would assume that Frank Clark has already won two titles. Why do you need to win anymore? Now, winning is fun. Winning makes playing a little bit easier. But I'm all for Frank Clark going out there and seeing if somebody will give him a two-year deal for $25 million. Roughly, it just ain't going to be here. Roughly $50 million between the Seahawks and Chiefs to this point. So roughly $50 mil, not counting his contract that's coming up. The Chiefs would then pay him $12 million to, to get rid of him, or 13 
So he's going to make close to $65 million in his career, have two rings. At that point, why don't you just win it out? Let it be done. Right off into the sunset with a great record of sacks in the playoffs. He's top three all time for most sacks in the playoffs, which is hard to believe, but it is true. Then again, if Frank is willing to do that, then you just have that much more ammunition at defensive end and and edge rusher, and who knows? You can keep cycling those guys out, keep fresh legs on the field, go find another one in the draft, let those guys teach him up, and then when that cat's ready to go be solo and those guys are making cheap money for what they are, then I'm okay with it. But again, it's all about the dollar, about how much your value is portrayed on the field. And right now, Frank Clark makes a lot of money. I don't think the Chiefs want to pay him a lot of money. So I think... The next domino we see in Kansas City will be the Frank Clark situation. Coming up on the other side of the break, I saw a topic today on the Twitter sphere, and it said, who is the most underrated running back of all time? Kansas City, we're going to have fun with this one. This is Bank at Night on your home for Royals baseball and the official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio. In 610 Sports Radio. I think this next topic, we're going to have some fun, Julio. Let's do it. I don't know how many people are still up on uh, on a Friday night or at least still inclined to their to their radio. But if you are, thank you very much. Julio Sanchez, Dusty Likens with you. This just happened to be one of those I don't know how you call this. One of those scrolling moments. I think there's sometimes on Twitter where you get kind of lucky. And you have one of those situations where like breaking news happens. Like the worst time that ever happened to me. This is kind of dark. But the worst time I've ever been on my phone where a breaking news story broke that I felt like happened that very instant was the Kobe Bryant passing. I remember exactly where I was, when it was, the situation I was in, and I remember sitting on the edge of my bed in my apartment. I was on my phone. I think I just got out of the shower, and I was just scrolling, and I saw the TMZ article, and I was like, well, let's wait, which normally when you see TMZ, that's kind of like when the, the Grim Reaper is at your door, and it's like, oh, crap. This is either true or it's true, but there's details we've yet to hear. And that's where I was with that. So that's, I promise you, this isn't going to be dark. But today, I was sitting on the phone, killing time, and I came across the article, and it was most underrated running backs in NFL history. Now, the cover of the picture was Fred Taylor. And I thought to myself, there's no way Fred Taylor is the most underrated running back in the history of the NFL, but I thought he's probably top five. And as I'm scrolling through, all I can see, now granted, this was an article started 
by BetMGM. So Las Vegas is where the bias is for this. So there is no there is no Raiders team running back that he's like that this person's like, well, it's Josh Jacobs, right? Obviously, that would be erroneous on all accounts. But as I'm scrolling as I go down, I see that it's it's Jamal Charles is the most unanimous decision picked. Hey And I think to myself, is this in fact one of three things? Truth. Is this one of those articles that finally comes out where it hits this close to home? And then three, I think to myself, how can I make this plausible for air? And the best way I can do that is to bring in everybody that's listening now on 610 Sports Radio or Odyssey or or your house, wherever you're at, and think, is there truth to that? Is Jamal Charles really the most underrated running back of all time? And it, and, and it kind of hit me right square in the face. And I think it is true that Jamal Charles is the most underappreciated running back of all time. And I think there are very, very many facts that build into why that is to be true. Jamal Charles didn't play on a great Chiefs team. Jamal Charles was on a Chiefs team that won two games. But when you think about the type of running back that Jamal Charles was, Jamal Charles didn't have the best offensive line. Jamal Charles didn't have the best weapons around him. Jamal Charles never had one of the best quarterbacks around him. Hell, not even top 15 around him. But yet, Jamal Charles, every time he had the ball, had the potential to go to the house in a blink of an eye. And I started thinking to myself, is Jamal Charles underrated or underappreciated, or is it both? Both. Right? Both. I think if you look at Jamal Charles' numbers in a career, he ought to have some serious Hall of Fame contention. But yet, whenever that gets brought up on a national level, we just show highlights of Jamal Charles. And it's like, how many Jamal Charles highlights do you need to let it be known that this is more than just four or five plays that happened in this man's career. This was four or five times a year that he played that this happened. Jamal Charles, to me, is still the most electrifying running back the Chiefs have ever had. And I'll, I'll listen. You know, Marcus Allen didn't do anything that made you stand up and want to punch your friend in the chest with excitement. Now, Marcus Allen always fell forward and Marcus Allen ran through the tackles and Marcus Allen let the Raiders be on the chiefs and to really solidify Marty ball. Larry Johnson was up there when he would run the ball. Larry Johnson, when he got going downhill and he put one move to the left and a guy would just look silly. Priest Holmes was extremely fun to watch. And Priest Holmes did exactly what he was supposed to do. He ran behind a brick wall that could move side by side and give him anywhere he wanted to go. But when it comes to Jamal Charles, it didn't matter who you were playing. Jamal Charles, if you blinked, was gone. 
And it makes me wonder, is Jamal Charles underrated or underappreciated, or is it just both? Now, a lot of people will say that they liked Priest Holmes a lot, and Priest Holmes was very fun to watch. And the biggest difference between Priest Holmes and Jamal Charles was the success of the franchise. Priest Holmes was on a Chiefs team in 2002 to 2005 that was just absolutely energetic, electric. It had Tony Gonzalez. It had Trent Green, Priest Holmes, Willie Rofe, Brian Waters, Will Shields. It just, they had a ton of just big dudes up front. And Priest Holmes put that little, that little stretch out before he crossed the goal line that got people going out and buying them a 31. Priest Holmes had cans on his arms that were bigger than most newborn children. But Jamal Charles had everything. And I will say that the two most memorable moments of Jamal Charles's career that I'll never forget is when they played the Oakland Raiders and they ran screen passes. And in fact, from what we found out years later, was that the Chiefs were basically telling them, we're running a screen over there. Like, we're going to throw the ball to Jamal over there, and he's going to, whatever he's going to do. And Jamal Charles did it, and they did exactly what the team said they were going to do. And when you go past that, I would say the other game that really solidified Jamal Charles, in my mind, as the greatest running back in Chiefs history, was during the season that the Chiefs were probably one of the worst teams I've ever seen play football was when they played the New Orleans Saints. And I want to say he had over 200 yards rushing. He took one 98 yards to the house. And I think he took another one 60 plus to the house in the Superdome. And when it all comes down to it and we all play this game when we're 75 years old or we play it next year and we've done it before, where we say, what player would you like to see from the Chiefs pass on this team? I always find it funny that the top two answers, one or two, two or one, I can't ever remember, are Derek Thomas and Jamal Charles. And if Jamal Charles is talked about in legacy of Chiefs players like Derek Thomas, then Jamal Charles does need to be in some serious contention to be in the Hall of Fame. Which then answers the question, that yes, Jamal Charles was underappreciated by a lot of his peers because of the team that he was on and the numbers he produced. And three, to wrap up the conversation, yes, Jamal Charles is very, extremely, ridiculously underrated. Without a doubt. And to give some other names that we see in this list, Of everyone who is underrated, there are guys like Fred Taylor. There are guys like Ahmad Green on this list. Jamal Charles is the one name that you see kind of everywhere. If you go down the thread of that tweet of who the most underrated running back is, and it's not even by your Kansas City Chiefs fan base of Tweeters. It's just random NFL fans 
because you've all seen the videos. And if you're ever bored and you want to go back in time and you want to look at what Jamal Charles could do, it's insane. The track star out of Texas on a national championship team blinded by Vince Young, underappreciated, coming to a Chiefs team that wins two games underrated and probably won those two games because of Jamal Charles? I think I have to agree in the first time in a long time when something like this comes to these types of polls or these types of questions when it hits this close to home, I do truly believe Jamal Charles might be the most underrated running back of all time. Coming up, I think I figured out why baseball is struggling and what its biggest problem is. This is Bank at Night on your home for Royals baseball and the official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio. the 8 o'clock hour, which means only about an hour left to bink at night on a Friday, but don't shed any tears. Sunday, I'll be back with Nick Schrute. Or Nick Schwart. Nick Schrute. I like Schrute a lot better than Schwart. Dwight Schrute? Yeah. Nick Schrute, their cousins? Schrute Farms, man. Beat Farmers. Beats Bears, Battlestar Galactica, but Sunday, 9 to noon, you'll get both of us. You can chime in on the Jay's Southland Tow Service text line, 913-576-7610. On the last topic from the 636, I would argue that Steven Jackson is the most underrated running back. Jamal Charles, though, may be the most underappreciated. Boy, did I like Steven Jackson on Madden. You know, I'm going to throw Darren Sproles on that list, too. Yeah, maybe underappreciated as well. I don't know if he's underrated because he was Probably like a not. scat back. Yeah. Right. I mean, he was a, he was a specialist. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we throw, like, Corey Dillon on there. I'd throw him on there, too. Little, Yeah, there's a little bit of an underrated factor with Corey Dillon. Definitely got to the, the Patriots way, though, and, and figure that, that out. I'm trying to think if there's anybody we're missing. Ricky Williams. I, I like. I think Ricky Williams was – he obviously had his issues. Yeah. But he was, for all intents and purposes, a great back. I liked Miami Ricky. I, I li- that was my favorite Ricky. Yeah, I liked Miami Ricky, Ricky a lot. This business is thriving, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. Perfect. Talk about uh, the perfect type of business, per- perfect line of business to be in. Especially today. Right? And he's the one, like, from the beginning. I've been telling you all. He really did something with his life. You really got to be passionate about that. Like, somebody would be like, what, what makes you think that weed is the gateway? I quit football and toured with Lenny Kravitz. That's how much I know it's the belief, which is exactly what he did. Good for him. I would tour with Lenny Kravitz. I mean, who would I think I saw I think I saw an article somewhere it said that like Snoop Dogg had somebody be uh just his personal blunt roller yep. and paid him fifty thousand fifty thousand dollars a year for it. This is true. My God. Would you do that the rest of your life? Fifty thousand maybe not the rest of your life, but like say you were single Julio, nobody around like you just had friends and somehow it popped up that you could be Snoop Dogg's personal blunt roller Hell for 50K yeah. a year. And you're, yeah. you're damn straight I'm putting that right at the top of my resume. That's right. 
I mean, you'd have had like front row seats for halftime, right? You'd have been in the Super Bowl. Think about all the cool stuff you get to do, not yeah. just along with rolling personal bloods for Snoop. You know, that's right. Text line continues to come in. Uh, Natron Means is one I think about, but Warwick Dunn, or yeah, Warwick Dunn, Warren Dunn. It's not Warren. I think it's Warwick Dunn. It's Warwick. Dunn. Uh, straight out of Florida State, then to Atlanta and the Bucks. Uh, Harvey Williams, Corey Dillon, Tiki Barber, all names that pop up on the 610. Thomas Jones. I liked him? Thomas Jones. Right? I liked him too. Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers running back. That was back. ripped. Yeah, what was, was the here, guy? He was, here, he was here for the Chiefs for a little bit too, remember? Yeah, he was the one that uh, knocked out Jonathan Baldwin. That's right. Right. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was fun times. Yeah. He, he deserved it. Uh, from I, what we know. From what we know. Yeah. He lasted quite a while in the NFL, didn't he? Ah, first round pick, Jonathan Baldwin. Yeah. Baldwin. Not a disappointment at all. Nope. He's up there if you ever want to do that topic <laughs> uh, when it comes to. Uh, Most disappointing Chiefs of all time? Yeah. William Barty's got to be up there. I would think William Barty's up there. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. But. When we talk about baseball and everything involved uh, with what's going on right now as baseball fans deserve a full season of 162 games, baseball fans, I believe, want 162 games of baseball this year. And if he is back, or if baseball is back, then that means that you get to see the bright, awesome future that his Bobby Wood Jr. playing third base, but more so importantly, um, I think when you think about baseball being back and for baseball to really figure something out after all of these heated debates and everything, baseball's got to figure out who their guy is. Somebody says LeGarrette Blunt on the uh, on the text line. I was trying to think of who that running back was for the Carolina. Stephen Davis? Is that, that who that is? Big guy? No, Stephen Davis was was the Rams, I think, right? No, that's Stephen Jackson. That's Stephen Jackson. I think Stephen oh, Davis right. was the guy in uh, in Carolina and ended up going to the Washington Commanders football team people. But anyways, we go back to – Yeah, there we go. So then we go back to this topic, and I think baseball's biggest problem is that it doesn't have a powerful face and voice. I think it has a powerful face, but that face doesn't have a voice, and that is Mike Trout. I think it has a powerful player in Shohei Otani, but he's too young and too new to be that guy. But baseball fails itself because it doesn't try to plug the next star. It doesn't try to build that hype around it. Like, we're going to talk about this a little bit later tonight, but the NFL, when it expands from different countries to play its sport in a new environment, they're going to put their biggest stars in that situation. The NBA does the same thing. The NBA on Christmas day releases that schedule on its own outside of the other games being played within that season of the regular season. Christmas Day in the NBA is huge, and they plug it, and they advertise it in October, in September, at the end of August. The NFL, the same thing. 
you know who's playing Sunday night football next week because of what they are and who they are. MLB doesn't care. And they don't lack these types of players. They don't lack this type of pizzazz, these colorful personalities. Baseball, it just kills itself from inside. Baseball refuses to adapt. Baseball refuses to accept change. Hell, even the NFL itself let them celebrate again. The NFL took away NFL celebrations. The NFL tried to change its concept of we're going to be a more uptight and strict league, and then it found out very quickly that that's not what makes the NFL successful. What makes the NFL successful is allowing its personalities to shine. Now, granted, to be fair, the NFL doesn't need a lot of that to be successful. Pure example, you'll watch Jets Carolina on Thursday night because you have a fantasy approach to it. So there are other factors to the NFL, and the NFL is quite possibly the most the biggest anomaly of sports when it comes to what the powerful situation is. There's just too much that's involved with the NFL. But baseball doesn't do anything to move forward, to change the needle. The NBA, for example, to go away from the NFL. The NBA made scoring points and shooting threes fun and a big thing to to have on your team moving forward. In fact, Joel Embiid, Worked on becoming a three-point shooter, and he's seven feet tall. Big guys began to learn how to be more offensive than defensive. And if you don't think that the NBA has changed, have a conversation with somebody that has an educated opinion on the NBA. Because you'll find guys that'll be like, well, if the NBA was played like it was before, then yeah, these fouls wouldn't be called, but the NBA is not played that way anymore. The NBA is a scorer's league. And I know there's a lot of you that hate the NBA around here and you think that nobody plays defense, but maybe one day you'll wake up and you'll realize that a lot of these guys are just really, really good at offense. That's why college games end at 68 to 65 because three of the players on that court have a chance at making the NBA and actually being somewhat respectable in that league. But even the NBA moved on from the high-low to the big post guy in the middle, working the ball down low, playing great defense, locking down. They still play defense, not as strong, not as locked down for all four quarters. But they changed the game to where, like, three points is more than two, and if we get better at shooting these threes, we can score faster and change the momentum of the game. That is a fact. And baseball is still stuck on the fundamentals of boring, dry, black and white. How dare you flip a bat? How dare you celebrate around the bases? How dare you be flamboyant when you do something great? I can only imagine what somebody thought of when Ozzie Smith was doing backflips. Adapt to the game, find yourself a face, and someone that can really back the league and put them on their back. The options are out there. You have a Fernando Tatis Jr. You have a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You've got an Aaron Judge, a Cody Bellinger. You have a Max Scherzer, kind of at the end of his career, but a powerful 
blood pulsing through the veins of a Max Scherzer. A Jacob DeGrom that just came out recently and called Babe Ruth fat and would crap his pants if he saw his fastball. Make it fun. Make it entertaining. And maybe find yourself somebody you can sell your product behind. Because every league seems to do it besides you. Every league seems to move on and make things entertaining besides you. And maybe, just maybe, you wouldn't be in the situation that you're currently in if you just had a little more fun. We get back. Pete Sweeney says something very, very interesting about the band getting back together. This is Bank at Night on your home for Royals baseball and the official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 